Over the last few weeks, we've been uh, digging into verses 16 through 23 and how the believers in Colossae were being tempted to look somewhere other than Christ for their fullness, for their sufficiency. And that really is the, the issue. The, the issue that is under attack in Colossae and in our own lives, it's, it's fullness. It's sufficiency. It, they were throwing out, a, you know what, food and drink and angels and visions and all these festivals and all this stuff going back to the, really the Jewish law, the, the law for fullness, that, that somehow trusting in Christ did not usher you into the fullness of all that God has to offer. That it was Christ plus. And, and I think today, if we're honest, we, we see the same temptation. Do, do we singularly trust the sufficiency, the supremacy of Jesus Christ and His work? So, some of us may be here today thinking we're paying God back or we're earning or it's, it's Christ plus something else. It's, no matter how subtle that is, it is it's destroying the gospel. It is Christ alone. Paul fought long and hard for that. And we talked about it. Even today, we see even, even gravitating to, to movies or, or books. Hear my heart on this. When we gravitate to these things, and we get more excited about those things than we do about the Word. Listen, the re, the re, my struggle there is we're attacking the sufficiency of the Word. It's, it's like when our kids, uh, you ever been there where your kid asks you a question, you give them an answer, and then they go, to your mom, they go to their mom or they go to their dad or they go to somebody else and ask them the same question. Looking, and they're, and they're not, it's not that they're looking for a different answer, they're just going to them asking them the same question. Or, or maybe they go to their friends and you, and you would have to say, do you not trust me? Is my word not good enough? When, when we as a people run to other things or other sources to try to tell us about that which God has already spoken through His Son, through His apostles, through His prophets, listen, you're attacking, we at least run the risk of attacking the sufficiency of Christ. If we believe it because somebody else said it, not because the Word said it, we, we're attacking the sufficiency of Christ. And, and that's my greatest fear, and that, that's Paul's fear is that we do anything that attacks the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Christ and His supremacy is to have unparalleled position in our lives, unparalleled affections, unparalleled thoughts, desires, focus. And, and ultimately, ultimately, again, Paul drills down to the real point in verse 23. Here's, here's ultimately in verse 23 of chapter 2 why these externals are insufficient. These matters, which to be sure, have the appearance of wisdom. The appearance of wisdom. Listen, in self-made religion, self-abasement, and severe treatment of the body. Listen, they look wise, but here's the problem. They have no value against fleshly indulgence. They have no ability to crucify the flesh. No ability to curb sin. No ability to kill sin. It's all self-generated. 
You're, we're asking our flesh to crucify our flesh. My, my flesh is not going to crucify my flesh. Not ultimately. It's going to gratify my flesh. You may be disciplined for a season. You may be disciplined for a moment. But ultimately, listen, it's going to rear its ugly head. Your flesh is going to fail. It's exactly what Paul says in Romans 7. O wretched man that I am, verse 24, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? There's one answer, Christ. Paul himself battled with going back to the law and finding his righteousness in the law and obedience to the law. And he's, that's what he's really dealing with there when he says, the things I don't want to do, I want to do, and things I want to do, I don't want to do. Listen, it's, it's Christ. What, what we have in Christ and what we have in this word is enough. Colossians 2, 6 really is the banner where Paul begins to lead into what he's saying here, beginning and really going into chapter 3. Therefore, 2, 6, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Colossians 3 and 4 are going to spell this out for us, what it means, as you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in Him. He's going to explain what that looks like. What it looks like to have a Christ-centered life. What it looks like to make Christ supreme and unraveled in our, unrivaled in our lives before a watching world. And, and typical, typical to Paul, we've said it many times before, if you read Paul's writings, if you study his writings, Paul will go to great lengths to explain what in the Greek is called the indicative. The indicative, it is, think about that word indicate. It indicates, first, what God has done on your behalf. In Romans 1 through 11, indicative. Ephesians 1 through 3, indicative. Galatians 1 through 3, indicatives. Colossians 1 and 2, indicative. He's going to great lengths to spell out the gospel. And then Paul will build based on what Christ has done. Then he'll start with what are called imperatives. Imperatives are commands. Based on what, and, and all of the commands, all of what Paul demands of us is built on, first, what Christ has done, what God has done in Christ for us. Please hear that. And verses 1 through 4 really are Paul's transition into the, from the indicative, what God has done in the gospel through Jesus Christ, transitioning into the imperative. Now what? And, and you see that, you see that all throughout. Ephesians 4 begins, therefore. What's the therefore? Well, look back, look to verses, chapters 1 through 3. Because of all that is true, now live this way. How does Paul begin chapter 3 of Colossians? Therefore. If you go to Romans 12, it's the same thing. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Therefore, because of what, because of who you are in Christ, because of what God has done for you in Christ, here's the reasonable, Paul says in Romans 12, your only reasonable response. And, and Paul, uh, almost one last time, he, he gets into the practical areas of Christianity, but he does it, 
he does it by grounding it in the gospel again. Look at verses 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, you also will be revealed with him in glory. You, you see on your handout the main, main focus, main point that Paul is going to build on for the next two chapters. Believers are to orient. The word is orient. It's arrange. It is to focus. Orient your entire life around the present reality of who you are in Christ. But also built upon the future reality of our glorification that is to come. Orient your entire life based upon who you are in Christ and what He will do for you when He returns. And, and I want to break it down into, into three points here. Just go verse by verse and break it down, and, and really in verse 1, believers are commanded to allow our status, the word there is status in Christ, to dictate how we live. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, there's your status. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Everything about our life is to be focused on Christ. Everything about our life is to be taken back to this question, who are you in Christ? Who are you in Christ? The status, the position. On Thursday, officially, Chloe went from one family to officially a new family, a whole new status, whole new way of life. She's a Cordova now. It, it, she lives according to the, to the character of the Cordova family now. She will be trained up, raised according to the Cordova family. Total transfer. And, and, and live that. Understand that, Chloe. Understand that believer. If anyone is in Christ, what does 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19 says? He is a what? New creation. New. New status. And, and again, this is not inconsequential. It's not unimportant. Even in Colossians 2.19, again, that, that is all the power, all the fullness, everything, everything in this case. Chloe, if she ever wants to be reminded who she is, look at her last name. It says Cordova. Cordova. But believer, look at whose name you and I bear as believers. Christ. Verse 19 of chapter 2, not holding fast to the... The problem, he says, not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with growth, which is from God. Literally, again, John 15, we talked about abiding, remembering who we are in Christ, remembering whose we are. And again, the, the attack on the Colossians, the attack on you and I is fullness. It was about fullness. Are they complete by simply faith in Christ? Paul answered that very, very clearly in 2.8 and 9 through 10. 2.8 and through 10 of Colossians. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. 
according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than, listen, according to Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And listen, verse 10, And in Him you have been made complete. It would, I mean, the fullness is in Christ. The completeness is in Christ. Not looking to other things. Not, not what we do, for, not for our fullness. It's who you are. And out of who you are, a recognition of who you are flows, as Paul is going to say in chapters 3 and 4, what we do. What we do flows out of who we are. And you see it on your handout. Spiritual fulfillment is found in understanding and applying who we are in Christ to our everyday lives by faith. Because again, the issue was where is spiritual fullness found? Is it in externals such as drink and food and festivals and visions? Or is it in Christ? It's in Christ. It's why we say time and time again, we can never move beyond the gospel. Why the greatest... The greatest impact in my life, the greatest impact your life spiritually would to be dig deeper into the gospel and understand who you are in Christ. It was not, the gospel is not simply something that we get saved by and then we move on and live in our own power. You get saved by the gospel and you live according to the gospel. It is the banner that hangs over our lives. It's the, it's the fuel that fuels our lives, the gospel. Understanding who we... I, I, let's be honest. We'll spend the rest of our lives, if we're honest, understanding the gospel. Plumbing the depths of the gospel. If we really, really attempt... To understand, if we really think about the fact that, as the Bible says, that we were children of wrath, that we were alienated, that we were, that we, that we were enemies of God, and yet He would crucify His own Son to save us, and then not only that, to come dwell inside of us? To allow that to, to filter everything, everything about our lives is to be filtered that way. You're a child of the King if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You're, you've been redeemed. You've been saved. Let that dictate everything about your life. And you don't, I mean, it would be like Chloe waking up the next day and say, you know what, I'm going I'm I'm to do dot, 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 dot. So, and Cordova's are saying, no, 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 it's, it's finished. Chloe, you don't have to perform, it's done. Go live, go live like your three sisters as a Cordova. It doesn't mean, again, understand that it's been completed. Now go live like Mia and Gianna and Olivia because you're a Cordova now. Believer, you're, you're in the kingdom of God. You're a child of the king. Let, let, that, let that penetrate your heart and mind. Understand that. that when, when you go out into the world, when we leave here today and you go back to your neighborhoods or wherever you go, you go as a representative, an ambassador, a child of the king. You're a representative of God. Just like when your children go to school, whatever they do, good or bad, you know who it reflects on? 
you, you, and, you, and your, you and your wife. When we go out in the world, guess who we reflect upon? Our king. He's saying, understand who you are. You, you see it there on your handout. Believers were to orient their lives around their new identity in Christ and fully grasp its consequences for their lives. And, and this is really where it boils down to. Satan is Satan's task and, and Satan's really, really agenda. He is the author of the original identity theft. Think about that. He wants you to believe, believer, something about your life that is not true in Christ. If you're not a believer, listen to what he lies to you. He doesn't want your identity, he doesn't want you to know your true identity outside of Christ to be that of enemy, that of hated by God. See Psalm 5.5 if that doesn't sit well with you. Separated, unable to save yourself. Again, he wants to lie to you and not let you understand your real identity, believer, that you're destined, again, I don't say this joyfully, but I say it accurately based on the Bible. You're destined, destined for eternal separation, hell, apart from repenting of your sin. That's your identity. Children of wrath, hated by God, enemy of God. And yet, loved in the sense that he would crucify his son to make a way. But Satan lies to you about your identity, non-believer. Believer, he lies to you about your identity as well. That God really hasn't forgiven you of all your sin, that you know there's still guilt and all the shame and all... Every single one of us, if we're honest, I would bet all of us could write on a piece of paper lies that we've believed about ourselves that are still dictating how we live today, even though Jesus says it's forgiven, Chris. Listen, regularly in my life, I, it, things will come up in my mind that I've said, that I've done, and Satan will, Satan will try to get, just take me places because of that that I don't need to go. And, and here's the stamp that I put on those. I'm trying to be disciplined. Forgiven. It's con confess it and believe that Christ has forgiven it and press on. Forget what lies behind. Lies. Not understanding who my identity is in Christ. That that will transform our lives. And Satan will lies to us and lies to us even as believers so that we won't grasp who we are as a child of Christ. Even the lie to think that we can be forgiven of our sins and then just, oh, just go live however you want to live. Lie. It's a lie. You're, you are his representative. You are to live to his glory. You have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the domain of light. Why? First Peter, I think it's 2.9, says, We exist to declare the excellencies of the one who has saved us. Not my excellencies. I exist to declare His excellencies. And listen, when we really grasp the gospel, when we really grasp the transfer that took place, the forgiveness, Paul says again in Romans 12, that's the only reasonable response. The reasonable response. 
And, and what Satan and what these false teachers who were working under the guise of Satan, the power of Satan, if you will, or the, and they may or may not have even known it, they're trying to get believers to find elsewhere what they already have in Christ. To, to find elsewhere what they have in Christ. Paul is saying, no, understand who you, what you are in Christ and who you are in Christ. False teachers would say, oh, well, you need to do this to experience more intimacy with Christ, and, and this will give you more power, and this will give you more wisdom and understanding, and this will make you, get you to receive more blessings. Listen to me. Cheap imitations of the real thing. Cheap imitations. Cannot compare to Christ. And, and again, it can look similarly on the outside, but we talked about it. It's a heart issue. Chloe can spend the rest of her life trying to perform in a way that pleases her parents to pay them back, or she can live in the fact that she's already been that she's already got the Cordova name and just live in the overflow of that. They can look very similarly, but they're 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 fueled by a totally different heart. Totally different heart. One, one diminishes the work of the Cordovas, the grace of the Cordovas, the other exalts the work of the Cordovas. Believer, trying to pay, spending your whole life trying to pay God back, which is impossible, diminishes the work of Christ. Versus understanding who we are in Christ and just living and basking in the glory of that and living to declare the excellencies of the one who saved us, that makes much of Christ. And they can look very similar from the outside. Very similar, but they're motivated by different things. And Paul is saying real power, real fulfillment in the Christian life only comes from fixing our minds on Christ and who we are in Him. And the tragedy is this. When we allow, you see it on your handout, Christ to have rivals in our lives, when we begin trusting in the flesh and things other than Christ for our status before God and our fullness, we sever ourselves from Christ and the true source of spiritual fullness. And fulfillment. Abide in Christ. Take everything back to Christ. What kingdom do we belong to? Whose am I? Whose glory am I here to declare and to seek? Let those answers dictate our living. Let those keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. That's Paul's way of saying, do all things to the glory of God. Do all things to the glory of God. And you see it on your hand now. Christianity is seeking to align our lives with our true identity in Christ so that we experience fullness. But it's through Christ. Through having been reconciled to God through Christ. And then live in light of that and live in light of the future that God has for us. It all goes back to making much in Christ, to setting our minds and understanding who we are in Christ. And allowing that to dictate how we live. It's God-centered living versus self-centered living. Believer, you have been raised up with Christ. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is and keep seeking who you are in Christ. New identity that dictates everything about our lives. But, but he goes on in verse 2, Set your minds on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. 
believers, number two on your handout, our minds are to be preoccupied with Christ. Preoccupied with Christ. It's very easy, if we're honest, for our minds to become fixed on things like our sin and our guilt and, and, and lies and all these circumstances and all the stuff that we deal with on a fleshly level. Listen, when we go there, we're not trusting Christ. And literally what Paul says is, you see it on your handout, believers are commanded to dwell intently, intently on the things above. Paul, 23 times in his writings, commands believers to think, to dwell on. Again, even in Romans 12 that we've said it, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How, Chris? By the, Paul, rather, by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. Reorientating, reorienting, or reorienting, yeah. Everything about our lives, Bill would have got me on that one if I hadn't corrected myself. Reorienting everything about your life back to who you are in Christ. I mean, even, even Philippians, in Philippians 4, is what Paul says in verse 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Focus on the gospel. Anyone ever heard the saying, and I thought about this as, as Paul talks about, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Anybody ever heard the saying, such and such is so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good? You heard that before? Such and such is so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. I, listen, I get what people are trying to say there. I've never met somebody so earthly minded they're no earth, so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. Typically, people who say that are excusing their disobedience. Typically, we say that about people because we're convicted. And, and that's our way of justifying our own beliefs, our own way of living. Because what Paul says in, in, Col in Colossians 3, 2, and really 1 through 4 as a whole, is exactly the opposite. And I dare our problem is that we're not heavenly minded enough, and therefore we're no earthly good. That's what Paul says. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. I was reading in commentary, uh, actually I was listening to something this week, and uh, uh, Sinclair Ferguson, he has said, uh, what you think about when you don't have anything else to think about tells a lot about you as a person in your life. What you think about when you don't have anything else to think about. Where does your mind go? When you don't have anything else to think about, where does your mind gravitate? Probably that's a God in your life. False God in your life. Preoccupation is not on Christ. Set your minds on the things above. You see it on Hannah. Believers are to allow their identity in Christ to create a new mentality in them that, that is Christ-focused. Therefore, we can be effective. Most of us, if we're honest, Christ is not the preoccupation. I'm having a hard time with the English language this morning. It's been that kind of morning. Preoccupation of our lives. 
He's an extra. It's a leftover. When I get everything else of this world, then I'll go. No, no, preoccupation. It's an entire new way of seeing yourself. Paul deals with this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, For I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave up himself for me. Whole new way of seeing yourself. He says, Paul's dead. That old guy, he's dead. Saul, gone. Paul. The life that I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. An orientation of his entire life. New creation. Paul is saying, believer, we need a new perspective, a new mentality on how we view every area of life. We need to focus on Christ in the midst of this world, not settle in and make this world our home. Fix our minds on things above. Contemplate the gospel. Contemplate whose we are in the gospel. But, but not only, not only a, a reorientation and a, and a preoccupation. In, in verses 3 and 4, what, look what he says. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, listen to this, who is your life, is revealed, and you also be revealed in Him in glory. Believers, letter number three there, are, as believers, our true identity and blessing is hidden in Christ and will not be fully revealed until the future. The fullness. Christ is our, just like Daniel saying this morning, you see it in here now, Christ is our everything and in Him we are complete. But we have to wait. We have to wait. And in that waiting, we're very tempted to look outside. In that waiting, we're very tempted to wander. In that waiting, we're very tempted to make this world our home. Security, forgiveness, freedom from spiritual powers, uh, freedom from condemnation, all those things flow through to us through Christ, and yet we have to wait. We are not fully right now what we will one day be. We've been declared righteous, but, but again, positionally, but practically, we still battle with sin. One day, again, Paul says in an 8, uh, I think it's Romans 8, 29, those whom he called, he predestined, those whom he predestined, he sanctified, and those whom he sanctified, he what? Glorified. It's a done deal. In the Greek, that is a, a promised chain, an unbreakable chain. Your glorification is guaranteed, believer. Wait. Even in, even in, again, Philippians 3, verse 20, he talks about our citizenship. But listen, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Wait. Wait. That, that's the, if we're honest, that the, the waiting is the hard part. Even in Romans chapter 8, he says, are not only this, but we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Have you been adopted? Yes. Do you experience the fullness of what that means? No. But it's promised the redemption of our bodies. 
For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who, hope for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we eagerly wait for it. Waiting. Waiting. And in our union, you see it on your handout with Christ, we have the guarantee of ultimate future transformation and in that, we have the power to wait. Even as aliens, even as aliens, I've been studying First Peter, even as aliens, as sojourners, as strangers, we have the ability. Where's our power? It's found in who we are in Christ. Paul, Paul says, listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You wonder what fullness is? It's in Christ. And I, on your handout, real quickly, I want to remind you of just a few of the, the blessings of who you are in Christ, the fullness of what God has offered you through Christ, that it would encourage you, that it would fuel you. You see them in your hand now. These are just a few of them. The election as saints. The election as saints. Ephesians 1.4 Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He goes on to talk about, again, you've been chosen. He chose you. The Cordovas chose to adopt Chloe. They chose. Think about that. You've been chosen. God extending His grace to you, believer. In spite of the fact that you're an enemy, separated, He chose you. But, but you've been adopted as His child. He goes on in verse 5 of Ephesians. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. It wasn't that you performed. It wasn't that you were worthy. He did that. He chose you according to the kind intention of His will. John 1.12 says, For as many as received Him, to them He gave the power to become sons, and sons of God, even to them who believe on His name. When we believe in Christ, death, burial, resurrection of Christ, we receive full access to the Father. If you don't believe me, go read Hebrews. Very clear. Not only that, see, we are fully accepted by grace. Listen to Ephesians 1.6. To the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Totally accepted. Totally accepted. But not only that, we have the redemption through His blood. Redemption through His blood. 1 Corinthians 6, or do you not know that you have been bought with a price? The word there is redeemed. It is to buy back from the slave market. Therefore, he says, therefore, what? Glorify God in your earthly bodies. Why? Because you've been bought with a price. You have a new status. You know, I was reading, studying Thursday with some guys, the we were, we've been going through the Old Testament. We were in Hosea. Chapter 3, the idea of Hosea buying back Gomer. She's been unfaithful. 
She's probably had children that weren't his, and he's raising them. She's, she's passed through other lover after other lover after lover. You look in chapter 2 and you see it's that Hosea. Hosea is the one literally providing for her while she is with these other men. You see a picture of Hosea going to these men and providing resources for them to take care of his wife while she's being unfaithful. Eventually it runs out and you see a picture of Hosea. Think about that. Amongst, amongst all his friends, amongst those in the community, and Hosea's wife comes across the stage. Historians tell, tell us that most likely in that scenario they would, they would sell these women as slaves and they would be without clothing. You have a, you have a, you have a naked, adulterous wife You see a picture in Hosea 3 of, of Hosea bidding silver, barley to buy back, not, not a sweet wife, not a faithful wife. He's buying back an adulterous wife. He's buying back a wife that has made a mockery of him. Totally unworthy. And if you study the book of Isaiah, Hosea makes it very clear. God makes it very clear through Hosea. Israel. See, see we're real, we can be real condemning towards Gomer. Real condemning towards Gomer. Problem is, when you study that book, you know who Gomer represents? You and I. In the strictest sense then, he repre she represented Israel, but you and I. Listen, God has provided all these resources. He's provided amply for them. You know what we do? Just like Hosea, we go and chase other lovers with the resources that God provided us for us to declare His excellencies, and we go and chase other lovers with the resources that He gave us to declare His excellencies. And a faithful God pursues, pursues, pursues. Again, do not think lightly of God's kindness and His tolerance, Romans 2, 4 says, for it is that exact kindness and tolerance that He's desiring to lead you, lead you to, rep to, to repentance. Same thing you see in Hosea. Hosea, God woos them to draw them back. That's you and I. How foolish would it be for, Hosea, for Gomer to come home and think she's going to perform to pay Hosea back or to earn what's already been earned for her? No, no, live that out. Live that out how? By being a faithful spouse. Redeemed. Fully redeemed. Bought back. We, we also, Ephesians 1 says, we receive forgiveness of sins. In Him we have redemption. There it is. Through His blood, listen, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Redemption is one side of the coin. Forgiveness is the other. And paying the ransom of our sins, again, as we saw in Colossians, again, he says in verse chapter 2, when you were dead, verse 13, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. 
grace. He's allowed us, F, to know His will. Verse 9, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention which He purposed with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. He goes on in G, we have an inheritance. Verse 11, I lost it. In Him we also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things according to the counsel of His will. And if you go read Peter, it's an inheritance that was not purchased with, with perishable things. It was purchased with His life. And it is, it is an inheritance that is guarded, it says, by the power of God. Power of God. Not only that, Ephesians 1.13 says we've been sealed. It says, In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him. Sealed. Security. I mean, do do we seriously think that food and drink and festivals are going to provide what Christ provided? And that's just a small glimpse of what I just showed. I mean, you think coming to church on a Sunday, you're going to pay Him back? No. You think you're going to add to whatever? You think you're going to add anything to what Christ has done? No, because you don't, we don't understand the gospel. We don't understand the gospel. The greatest need for all of us and the impact in our lives would be to understand the gospel. Again, it's not a ticket to heaven. It's a reconciliation to God. God is the prize of the gospel, not just, oh, I get to go to heaven now. No, you've been reconciled to God. You've been brought back to God. You've been given a new citizenship and listen here and and again in titus and i'll close with this in titus paul makes a very clear statement again why why do we need to understand the gospel listen to this titus 2 verse 11 for the grace of god has appeared bringing salvation to all men listen to that okay verse 12 instructing us what instructs us the gospel to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking forward, waiting for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession, zealous, the word is eager, for good deeds. But where does it start? It goes back to the grace of God. Where is it fueled? It's an understanding of the grace of God. What He has done for you, believer, in His grace. Your status, believer, because of His grace. And you see the last fill in there. Everything is different. We are to live in faith differently because of who we are in Christ. Do do you struggle with sin and its effects? Of course. But, But focus not on that. Focus 
on the things that are not seen. L- listen, to, do we struggle? Do we feel, still feel the effects of sin? Do we still suffer? We do. Listen, and I'll close with this. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction. Listen, in light of eternity, any affliction, and I don't, I don't belittle because we have people in here who have gone through a lot. I'm not belittling that. But in light of eternity, Paul would call this affliction, this affliction here on earth momentary and light in light of eternity. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul goes on to say, one day, listen, one day we're going to get rid of this tent, this temporary dwelling, we're going to put on a permanent abode. We're going to be clothed, he says, with Christ. We will not be found naked. That, more, that which is mortal, verse 4, will be swallowed up by life. And in the meantime, he's given us his spirit. He's given us the spirit as a pledge to wait. But to not wait anyway, to wait faithfully. Listen, nothing compares, nothing compares to what God has given us in his son. Find, find your identity in Christ alone. Turn your eyes to Christ alone. He is enough. He's supreme. He's sufficient. He's unrivaled. And in Him, you have been made complete, believer. Lord, help us to realize that today. The richness, the fullness of the gospel. Who we are in Christ.